Volume Two, Chapter Six of A Charming Fellow. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Charming Fellow by Francis Eleanor Trollope. Volume Two, Chapter Six. It was the evening before the wedding. In a low, long room that was dark with black oak panelling, and gloomy, moreover, by reason of the smallness of the ivy-framed casement at one end, which alone admitted the daylight into it, Lord Seely sat before the hearth. Although it was August, there was a fire. There were few evenings of the year when a fire was not agreeable at Longfells, and one was certainly agreeable on this especial evening. The day had been rainy. The whole house seemed dark and damp. A few logs that had been laid on the top of the coal-fire sputtered and smoked drearily. My lord sat in a large high-backed chair which nearly hid his diminutive figure from view, except on the side of the fireplace. His head was sunk on his breast. His hands were plunged deep into his pockets. His legs were stretched out towards the hearth. His whole attitude was undignified. It was such an attitude as few of his friends or acquaintances had ever seen him in, for it was nearly impossible for Lord Seely to be unconscious or careless of the effect he was producing in the presence of an observer. He was now absorbed in thought, and was allowing his outer man to express the nature of his musings. They were not pleasant musings, as any spectator would at once have pronounced, who should have seen his posture and his pursed mouth, and his eyebrows knitted anxiously under the bald yellow forehead. The entrance even of a footman into the room would have produced an instant change in Lord Seely's demeanour, but no footman was there to see his lordship sunk in a brown study. At length he raised his head and glanced out of the window. It had ceased to rain, but the drops were still trickling down the window-panes, from the points of the ivy leaves, and it was already so dark that the firelight began to throw fantastic shadows from the quaint old furniture, and to shine with a dull red glow on the polished oak panels. Lord Seely rang the bell. "'Has Mr. Arrington returned?' he asked of the servant who appeared in answer to the summons. "'Not yet, my lord.' "'Tell them to beg Mr. Arrington, with my compliments, to do me the favour to step here before he dresses for dinner.' "'Yes, my lord.' "'Don't light that lamp, or stay, yes, you may light it. Put the shade over it, and place it behind me. Draw the curtains across the window. Take care that my message is given to Mr. Arrington directly he comes home.' The servant withdrew, and Lord Seely, when he was left alone, began to walk up and down the room with his hands behind him. Thus Algernon found him, when, in about ten minutes, he appeared, rosy and fresh from his ride. "'I must apologise for my muddy condition,' he cried gaily. "'Pawkins and I rode over to Applethwaite to get something for Castalia that was found wanting at the last moment, and I am splashed to the eyebrows, but I thought it best to come just as I was, as your lordship's message was pressing.' "'Thank you. I am much obliged to you, Ancrum. It is not in truth that there is any such immediate hurry for what I have to say, that it might not have waited an hour or so, but I thought it likely that we might not have so good an opportunity of speaking alone together.' Lord Seely seated himself once more in the high-backed chair, but in a very different attitude from his former one. He was upright, majestic, with one hand in his breast and the other reclining on the arm of his chair. But on his face might be read, by one who knew it well, traces of trouble and of being ill at ease. Algernon read my lord's countenance well enough. He stood leaning easily on the mantel-shelf, tapping his splashed boot with his riding-whip, and looking down on Lord Seely with an air of quiet expectation. "'I have been having a serious conversation with Castalia,' said my lord, after a preliminary clearing of his throat. Algernon said smilingly, "'I hope you have not found it necessary to scold her, my lord. The phrase, having a serious conversation with any one, always suggests to my mind the administering of a reprimand.' "'No, Ancrum, no, I have not found it necessary to scold Castalia. I am very much attached to her, and very anxious for her happiness. She is the child of my favourite sister.' The old man's voice was not so firm as usual when he said this, and he looked up at Algernon with an appealing look. Algernon could be pleasant, genial, even affectionate in his manner, but never tender. 
that was more than he could compass by any movement of imitative sympathy he had never even been able so to simulate tenderness as to succeed in singing a pathetic song perhaps he had learned that it was useless to make the attempt at all events he did not now attempt to exhibit any answering tenderness to lord seeley's look and tone of unwonted feeling in speaking of his dead sister's child his reply was hard clear and cheerful as the chirp of a canary-bird i know you've always been extremely good to castalia my lord we are both of us very sensible of your kindness and very much obliged by it no no said my lord waving his hand no 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 castalia owes me nothing she has been to me almost as my own daughter there can be no talk of obligations between her and me then he paused for what appeared to be a long time in the silence of the room the damp logs hissed like whispering voices ancram lord seeley said at length castalia is very much attached to you i assure you my lord i am very grateful to her <clears throat> castalia's is not an expansive nature she was perhaps too much repressed and chilled in childhood by living with uncongenial persons but she is responsive to kindness and it develops her best qualities i will frankly own that i am very anxious about her future you will not owe me a grudge for saying that much ancram i never owe grudges my lord but i trust you have no doubt of my behaving with kindness to castalia no ancram no i hope not i believe not i am glad of that because the doubt would come rather too late to be of much use would it not algernon spoke with his old bright smile but two things were observable throughout this interview firstly that algernon though still perfectly respectful no longer addressed his senior with the winning cordial deference of manner which had so captivated lord seeley in the beginning of their acquaintance secondly that lord seeley appeared conscious of some reason in the young man's mind for dissatisfaction and to be desirous of deprecating that dissatisfaction at the same time there seemed to be in lord seeley an undercurrent of feeling struggling for expression he had the air of a man who knowing himself to have right and reason on his side in the main yet is aware of a tender point in his case which an unscrupulous adversary will not hesitate to touch and which he nervously shrinks from having touched he winced at algernon's last words and answered rather hotly it would be too late your insinuation is a just one if i had any misgivings i ought to have expressed them and acted on them before but the fact is that this the final arrangement of this marriage took me in a great measure by surprise so it did me my lord lord seeley had been gazing moodily at the fire he now suddenly raised his eyes and looked searchingly at algernon the young man's face wore an expression of candid amusement his arched eyebrows were lifted and he was smiling as unconcernedly as if the subject in hand touched himself no jot i give you my word he continued lightly that when lady seeley first spoke to me about it i was oh astonished is no word to express what i felt a dark red flush came into lord seeley's withered cheeks and mounted to his forehead he dropped his eyes and moved uneasily on his chair passing one hand through the tuft of grey hair that stood up above his ear algernon went on with an almost boyish frankness of manner of course you know i should hardly have ventured to aspire to such an idea quite unassisted and i believe i said something or other to my lady very stumblingly i have no doubt for i remember feeling very much bewildered i said some word about my being a poor devil with nothing in the world to offer a lady in miss kilfinane's position except of course my undying devotion only one cannot live altogether on that but lady seeley was very sanguine and saw no difficulties she said it could be managed and she was right you see where there's a will there's a way and i am really to be married to castalia to-morrow it seems too good to be true lord seeley rose and faced the young man and as he did so his lordship looked really dignified for the sincere feeling within him had for once obliterated his habitual uneasy self-consciousness ancram he said i am afraid from what castalia tells me that you are greatly dissatisfied with the position i have been able to procure for you 
oh my lord castalia ought not to have said so if she can content herself in it for a time how can i venture to complain i am sorry to find continued lord seely that your circumstances are more seriously embarrassed than i thought are they my lord i profess i don't know how to disembarrass them you are in debt i had the honour of avowing as much to your lordship when my marriage was first discussed as you doubtless remember yes and you named a sum which i-which your lordship was kind enough to pay certainly but it now appears that the sum did not cover the whole of your liabilities ancram castalia tells me that you have been annoyed by applications for money quite recently algernon smiled and put his head on one side as if trying to recall a half-forgotten fact well said he at length upon my word i have forgotten the exact sum which i did name to your lordship but i have no doubt it was correct at the time the worst of it is that my debts have this unfortunate peculiarity they won't stay paid it is a great pity ancram for a young man to get into the habit of thinking lightly of debt it is in fact continued his lordship growing graver and graver as he spoke a fatal habit of mind my dear lord i don't think lightly of it by any means but really is it not best to accept the inevitable with some cheerfulness the inevitable ancram yes my lord in my position debt was inevitable i could not be a member of your family circle a frequent inmate of your house doing the things you did going where you went without incurring some expense it was no want of tact which made algernon speak thus plainly and coarsely he did not fail as his mother might have done to perceive that his words pained and mortified his hearer he would by no means have aimed such a shaft at lady seely knowing that nature had protected her feelings with a hide of some toughness and knowing moreover that my lady would unhesitatingly have flung back some verbal missile at least equally rough and heavy but my lord was at once more vulnerable and more scrupulous and although algernon was the last person in the world to be guilty of gratuitous cruelty yet if one is to fight he had best use the most effective weapons and take advantage of any chink in the enemy's armour to drive one's javelin home i regret said lord seely with a little catching of the breath like a man who has received a cold douche i deplore that your intimacy with my family should have led you into a false position not at all my lord my position in your family has been a very pleasant one i ought perhaps it was my duty to have inquired more particularly into your means and to have ascertained whether they sufficed for the life you were leading in london you were very young and without experience i reproach myself ancram don't do that my lord there is really no need i am sure nobody is the worse for the few pounds i owe at the moment not even my tailor who has cheated me handsomely doing me the honour to treat me as one of your lordship's own class lord seely bent down his grey head and meditated with a pained and anxious face then he looked up and said you know ancram that i am not a rich man for one in my station algernon bowed gracefully had i been so i should have made a settlement upon castalia but although i have no daughters of my own to provide for with a little sigh yet my property is very strictly tied up there are claims on it too of various sorts lady seely screws all she can out of him for that nephew of hers was algy's mental comment and in brief i am not in a position to command any large sums of ready money i believe i said as much to you before algernon bowed again and smiled well i repeat it now in order to impress on you the fact that neither you nor castalia must look to me for pecuniary help in the future oh my lord i do not say that castalia might not have a right to ask such help of me but i merely assure you that it will be out of my power to grant it you perhaps scarcely realize how poor a man may be who has a fairly large rent-roll i think i have begun to realize it my lord lord seely looked quickly into the young man's face but it was smiling and inscrutable well he resumed i will only add that for this once and presuming your present debts are not heavy 
oh dear no a trifle i will discharge them if you will let me have the amount accurately i have a great repugnance to the thought of castalia and you beginning your married life in debt a thousand thanks it will be better for us to start fair i hope ancram that you will use every endeavour to live clearly within your means and to make the best of your circumstances the fact is this marriage has been hurried on algernon did not answer in words but he gave an expressive shrug and smile which said as plainly as possible i have not hurried it on lord seely coloured deeply and seemed to shrink bodily as if he had received a blow he went on hastily and with less than his usual self-possession i i have felt rather than perceived a, a little touch of bitterness in your manner lately there there we will not quibble about the word if not bitter you have not been at all events in the frame of mind i wished and hoped to find you in you are young and youth is apt to be a little unreasonable in its expectations i own i admit that your worldly position will not be uh, exactly brilliant but i assure you that in these days there are many gentlemen of good abilities and industry who would be glad of it oh i am fully aware of my good fortune my lord besides you know this is only a stepping-stone yes we we hope so but ancram and this is what i had in mind to say to you frankly don't neglect or despise the present employment in looking forward to something better by no means for your own sake your own sake i earnestly advise you not to give way to feelings of discontent do i look discontented upon my word your lordship is doing me singular injustice there is a smiling discontent as well as a frowning discontent and i don't know but that it is the worst of the two algernon laughed outright well said he you must own that it is a little difficult to give satisfaction his light smooth tone jarred disagreeably on lord seely if the latter had thought to make any impression on the young man to draw from him any outburst of feeling he had signally failed algernon's words could not be objected to but the tone in which they were uttered was completely nonchalant his nonchalance increased in proportion to lord seely's earnestness a year ago algernon would have brought his manner into harmony with my lord's mood he would have been grave attentive eager to show his appreciation of my lord's kindness and his value for my lord's advice but now there was some malice in his smiling good humour a little cruelty in the brightness of his unruffled serenity he was genuinely tickled at seeing the pompous little nobleman embarrassed in speaking to him algernon errington and he enjoyed what comedy there might be in the situation none the less because his patron suffered in truth algernon was discontented his was not a gnawing black sort of discontent he neither grew lean nor yellow nor morose but his irony was sometimes flavoured with acidity and instead of being easily tolerant of such follies as zeal enthusiasm or fervent reverence he was now apt to speak of them with a disdainful superiority and he had too an air of having washed his hands of any concern with his own career of laying the responsibility on destiny or whomsoever it might concern of awaiting with sarcastic patience the next turn of the wheel as if life were neither a battle nor a march but a gigantic game of rouge et noir with terrible odds in favour of the bank lord seely was no match for this youth of two-and-twenty lord seely had intended to impress him deeply to read him a lecture in which olympian severity should be tempered by mercy to convince him by dignified and condescending methods of his great good fortune in having secured the hand of castalia kilfinane of caldkale and of his great unreasonableness not to say presumption in not accepting that boon on bended knee instead of grumbling at being made postmaster of whitford but in order to make an impression it does not suffice to have tools only the surface to be impressed must also exist and be adapted to the operation how impress the bright cool shining liquid bosom of a lake for instance oar and keel pebble and arrow wind and current are alike powerless to make a furrow that shall last 
lord seeley laboured under the disadvantage in this crisis of feeling for other persons with some keenness a circumstance which frittered away his power considerably and made him vacillating algernon's capacities for feeling were on this occasion steadily concentrated on himself and this gave his behaviour a solid consistency which was felt even beneath the surface lightness of his manner i hope said lord seeley rather sadly than solemnly i do most earnestly hope Angtram, that you will be happy in this marriage your lordship is very good i assure you i feel your goodness he said it as if he had been accepting an invitation to dinner and and that you will do your best to make castalia happy you may rely on my doing my best there are discrepancies perhaps disparities but those marriages are not always the happiest in which the external circumstances on both sides seem to be best matched you are young you are untrammelled you have no irrevocable past behind you to regret i do not see no i do not see why with mutual regard and respect you should not make a good life of it these are the most lugubrious nuptial felicitations that ever were offered to a bridegroom i should fancy thought algernon and he had some difficulty in keeping his countenance so vividly did he feel the ludicrous aspect of his lordship's well-meant effort at impressing him i should feel some sense of responsibility if if things were not to turn out as brightly as we hope and believe and believe they will turn out oh don't distress yourself about that my lord cried algernon he had very nearly said don't apologize there is the dressing-bell he added with alacrity taking his hat up from the table if your lordship has no further commands i think i yes go ancram i will not detain you longer remember said lord seeley taking the young man's hand between both his own and speaking in a tremulous voice remember ancram that i wish to serve you my intention all along has been to do my best for you you have been a very pleasant inmate in my home ancram be good to castalia for good or for evil you are her fate now no one can come between you be good to her my dear lord i beg you to believe that i will make castalia's happiness the study of my life and oh i have no doubt we shall get on capitally with your interest it can't be long before we get into a better berth i know you'll do your best for us for castalia's sake oh and mine too i'm happy to believe yes certainly i really am in such a state of mud that i believe my very hair is splashed it will take me all the time there remains for dressing to get myself presentably clean positively au revoir my lord and thank you very very much with his jauntiest step and brightest smile algernon left the room lord seeley returned to his chair before the hearth resumed his moody musing attitude and sat there alone with his head sunk on his breast until they called him to dinner End of chapter six